You see a lot of things when you live in the church parsonage. Now, if you don't know what a church parsonage is, it's the house that's next to the traditional, um, not this facility, the traditional site of worship over there. You'll notice there's a house right next to it. That's where I live, okay? And that's where I, I don't, it hasn't been like this forever, I know. Um, different pastors have lived there. But for now, I think vicars, when they're here, they live there. And you see a lot when you live in that house. I see many people coming and going into the church, coming for choir rehearsals, band rehearsals, handbell rehearsals, wedding rehearsals, weddings themselves, private baptisms before and after services, different meetings, people coming for Bible studies. I also see a lot of funerals. And I, I can see the cemetery as well from my house over there. And I see a lot of committals as well. And sometimes I can actually see some of the workers of the cemetery preparing the ground for the casket in the next few days or so. Yeah, you see a lot when you live next to the church building. And some people in the cemetery, I can see them walking slowly through there and some cars drive slowly through there all the time, and they stop at specific tombstones to what I can only imagine is reminiscing or remembering friends and family. And many people come by and they, and they leave things at the tombstones of loved ones. And these graves holding the bodies cause us to grieve. To grieve like how Mary and Martha were grieving for their brother Lazarus in our gospel reading for today. And maybe I wonder if, like Mary, like Martha, you too have had the same thought. Lord, had you been here, had you done something, anything, they wouldn't have died. Or maybe like me, you have found yourself speaking a few words to a body in a casket or a body in the ground at a gravesite, as if they were right there listening. I remember doing that with my grandma, Carol. When, we, when, I, when I was in, during my childhood, my parents were missionaries. And when we were in Puerto Rico, we would oftentimes come to the United States for these long summers while my dad would travel to different churches talking about the mission that's happening in Puerto Rico. So we'd go to these churches that were supporting the mission. Well, while we would spend these eight to 10 week summers um, in the States, our home base would be Davenport, Iowa at my grandparents' house. And I can remember one summer over the others specifically. I remember this one summer I was sitting in the living room with my grandma, Carol, and it was just me and her, which was really odd because she had 23 grandkids and I was number 13 in line. And we were always in the house. But it was just me and her that day. We were watching TV. And she got a phone call. And as she was on the phone, she started to break out into tears. And I remember her saying thank you to whoever she was talking to before she hung up the phone. And she turned to me with tears still in her eyes. And she said, it's okay, Adam. I'm, I'm all right. Now, for, a middle, for an immature middle school boy that I was, this was a very awkward interaction. And I later found out that it was that very phone call 
that was regarding her lung cancer. And a few months later, my family would return to Iowa, only this time for her funeral. My grandma was a very faithful woman. And she had passed down that faith to my mom. And through my mom, that same faith has been passed down to me. And I remember being at the funeral and during the message, shows how much I was paying attention to the sermon. But during the message, I was fiddling around with the hymnals in front of me. And I remember grabbing the hymnal and flipping through the pages. And I, and I got to the front cover, inside of the front cover. And right there on the inside of the front cover of the hymnal, it said these words, donated by Carol Case. And I was surprised to see my grandma's name there. And so I grabbed the next hymnal and the next one. All said the same thing. Donated by Carol Case. She was a faithful woman and she put her faith in Jesus Christ. And we found out a lot more about her, good things about her, after she had passed. She was a very humble woman as well. And I can recall walking past her body in the casket one last time and saying, it's okay, Grandma. You're going to be all right. As if her ears were still working, as if she could hear my words. But I know they weren't working. She was gone. She could not hear me. My words were useless. It was more for me than for her. Death is not a natural thing. I think we put it in that sort of language to make it feel like it is a natural thing, like, you know, the circle of life and stuff like that. But death is not a natural thing. It was never supposed to be this way. And the spirit was never supposed to be torn from the body. It's why Jesus came. Scripture is clear. Death came by the fall. And all have sinned. And in sin did my mother conceive me. And the wages of sin is death. And we grieve. There's a lot of reasons to grieve in this life. In fact, I would say that we all have a lot of little deaths in our life with departures of, of jobs or departures between friendships or marriages. But today I am talking about literal death. Death is sin's last bite. What a life of sin has offered us is nothing else but a road that leads us to the shadow of death. It leads us to a valley of dry bones. And in the Old Testament reading, it's the sin of Israel. It's their disobedience to love God and love others. It's their disobedience to listen to God that has led them to what they think is their ultimate death. And even Israel is caught saying things like this. Our bones are dried up. All of our hope is lost. We have been cut off. And so God takes Ezekiel, the prophet, to Israel. He takes him and brings him to this valley of dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel this question as he's walking through the bones. He asks, God asks the question. And God asks him this. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives an interesting answer, and I think that's actually probably a pretty good answer. He says, Lord, you know. And what happens next is amazing. God tells Ezekiel, say to the dry bones these words. Say to the dry bones, 
O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear. But, dry, but bones don't have ears. They can't hear. These people are gone. They're dead. And yet, when God speaks, they listen. Jesus is the word that speaks. He is the only one that can reconcile our broken relationships in this life. He's the only one who can do anything, something about literal death. Jesus is the opposite of sin. He's the opposite of brokenness. Jesus is the complete opposite of death. Whatever death does, Jesus does the opposite. He is the word in the flesh. He's the word in the physical body. His word is life. Jesus is life in himself. John 1 verse 4 says that in him was life and that life was the light of men. John 3, 15 and 16 both say that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 5 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. John 5 also says, the hour is coming when those in the tombs will hear my voice and they will come out. John 5 also says, you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. John 6, I am the bread of life. And Peter even says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come so that they might have life and have it abundantly. Or how about John 14? You know this one. I am the way and the truth, and the, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's so many more, and I was on fire when I was writing this. I had to take a lot of them out just to shorten the sermon for you guys. But what about in our text for today? John 11. Jesus comes to Bethany to two grieving sisters because their brother has just died. And you know, Martha actually says a really wonderful statement. It's a really incredible statement of faith that she says. In the middle of Martha's grieving, she says, yeah, I know Lazarus will rise again on the last day. And Jesus' response to her is, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks a question, just like in Ezekiel, God, God asks a question. He asks Martha this, do you believe this? Do you believe my word? Do you believe his word, St. Lawrence? What can we do? What can our words and our power ultimately do or accomplish? Can your willpower defy death? Can your words defy the physical decay of your body? No, it cannot. My words to my grandmother's hidden body in the casket that day did absolutely nothing for her. But Jesus, his word is powerful. His word 
is life. It's his word that rattles the bones in Ezekiel. It's the same word that stirs the heart of a dead man back to life in our gospel reading. Even dead ears are required to listen to Jesus. And he speaks the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus, a dead man with all senses stopped, he listens as if he were only sleeping. Martin Luther says this really cool thing about death and sleeping and the word of Christ. Martin Luther was no stranger to grief. He was no stranger to death. Martin Luther actually, he lived during the Black Plague. And besides that, he also lived, uh, um, well, sorry, during his life, he went through the death of several of his kids at a young age. Listen to what he says about death and the word of Christ. He says this, It follows from this, therefore, that those who lie dead and buried in the cemetery underground, well, they sleep more lightly than we do in our beds. Therefore, even though I should die, I'm not concerned. For a little while, my Lord Jesus Christ delays while death throttles me. Yet though death thinks I am done for and that I have died, I am merely sleeping And my repose is so sweet and light that the Lord scarcely need open his mouth before I hear him and rise to eternal life. It's a beautiful image. Luther goes on to say how death and Satan must be furious. Satan has got to be furious that the worst he could ever do to the believer, the worst that death could ever do to those who hold on to the word of Christ, the worst that Satan could do with his sharp, frightening teeth and sharp and frightening they may be, the worst is he puts us to a light and gentle sleep of which we will awake at the sound of the word of Christ. So be confident. Even though our sin makes our lives appear like dry bones in a valley, he does call us by name. And we don't even have to wait for the resurrection on the last day. We can hear him calling us forth to receive his life-giving sacrament even now. He calls us forth in baptism even now. Yes, even while we age and our bodies decay, even now, We have life in him. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So hold on to the promise. Treasure it in your hearts and believe in it. For when everything in your life passes away, and it will, when all the things of this world pass away, his word remains and his promise endures. His word is all we have. It's the only thing we need. It'll be a glorious day when Jesus comes back and speaks to my grandmother, saying, Carol, wake up. It's also going to be quite a sight for whoever the vicar is on that day, living in that parsonage next to the cemetery, when whoever it is, he's going to witness the dead of St. Lawrence rising. 
We no longer need to look at the graveyard as our final end, but we can gaze and smile at another tomb. The tomb on Easter morning. That tomb is our reality. And that tomb is empty. And life has been accomplished for us by the word of life, by Jesus Christ. All right, I'll give you one more. John 20, 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.